Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, church, again. Good morning to you. And uh, what a privilege it is to gather again to dig into God's Word. Um, If you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles. We need our Bibles for this morning as we go through the passage. We're looking at John 6, verses 1 to 15, the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, there is a Bible in the chair in front of you, okay? So just uh, pull that out, and we're in John chapter 6. It's the fourth sign that uh, John, um, uh, in John's gospel, the fourth sign that he records for us. And would you believe this is the only miracle that is found in all four gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is it. This is the only miracle that's found in all four And the reason that John recorded it down is the same reason he wrote the whole gospel. We've covered this before. So that this miraculous sign would lift your eyes. Would lift your eyes. Lift them up off of your worldly worries, whatever earthly concerns you've brought with you today. And see that Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is the Son of God, and if you believe in Him, by believing you may have life. You may have life in His name. That's John's purpose and, and for, this, for the whole series, for this whole book, and that's my prayer as, as we begin. So with this in mind, I want to I uh, set the stage for you, set the scene, just try to bring us back into the context of John. Um, it's been several months since the end of chapter 5. We covered the end of chapter 5 last Sunday, right? But it's been several months since then. And from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other accounts, we learn that the disciples have just returned from a preaching mission, okay? They've just come back from a preaching mission. Turns out John the Baptist has actually been executed, okay? And so, Jesus and His disciples um, decide to withdraw, okay? They they want to withdraw from the crowds, they want to rest, they want to debrief. And uh, so, in verse 1 of of chapter 6, verse 1, they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're seeking some peace and quiet, right? Which, um, as we will see, uh, was not to be found. They end up on a mountainside. If you look at verse 3, they end up on a mountainside, which scholars actually believe today is the Golan Heights. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of hill um, found in northern Israel, modern Israel today. And there in this remote place, they sat down. If you skip ahead to verse 4, look at verse 4 for a moment. This is also part of our context, okay, part of setting the stage. John tells us the timing, okay, the timing that all of this took place. And as we find out in verse 4, it was the annual feast of the Jews. It was Passover, okay? Passover was at hand. 
You know, I love how everything in God's Word is there for a reason. Isn't that true, church? Do you believe that? Everything is there for a reason, and even the smallest details like this verse 4, this detail is no different because as it turns out, this verse actually helps us to place the miracle, the the feeding of the 5,000, to place it on the timeline of Jesus' um, ministry on earth. Isn't that amazing? I just, I thought this was so interesting. In John, Passover occurs three times. It's an annual feast, right? So three times, three years, right? It occurs three times. The first time Passover occurs, if anyone knows, I'll give you, I'll give you a chocolate bar after church. <laughs> the, well, the, that's true. The first time Passover occurs is in Exodus. That is true. <laughs> but in the book of John, the first time it's mentioned, that's a good one, the first time it's mentioned is right after the wedding at Cana, okay? In chapter 2, that's the first Passover. The last Passover we read about in the book of John, just before he's crucified, occurs in John 11, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so here we are in the second Passover. So it tells us we're somewhere in the middle of Jesus' three-year ministry on earth. Isn't that amazing? The other thing this tells us is, is Passover was a big deal. I mean, there was a buzz in the air, okay? This, this was a big deal for the Jewish people. You would have masses of people traveling to Jerusalem, right? And so Jewish um, nationalistic fervor and their patriotism and their zeal would be running at an all-time or at least an annual high, right? So it's on this background that we come to verse 2. Take a look at verse 2 where John tells us that a large crowd was following Jesus. Why? Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Because. Um, I came across this this quote, which I think is is very helpful for us, and it's a theme that you're going to see throughout this passage. It's from St. Augustine, and I I would agree, I think you would agree with me that that this applies even today. Here's what St. Augustine says. He says, Jesus is usually sought after for something else and not for his own sake. Is that true? What do you think? Can I say it again? Jesus is usually sought after for something else, for some other reason, and not for his own sake. And I want you to remember this because this is the theme I see occurring, reoccurring throughout this passage. In verse 2, it begins, John reveals, this is the nature of the crowd. Why do I say that? Because the reason they sought Jesus in the first place was, was not for Him, but rather for something else. What was it? His healings. Yeah, His healings. That's why they came. See, for the people, Jesus was this all-wise, all-powerful man, and I mean, he was healing diseases that even the doctors of that day and age, they couldn't treat. They couldn't treat, and so they followed him. I mean, can you blame them? Just just, just, Just pause for a moment. With all your ailments, with all your diseases, you find out there's a person who is able to heal every single disease. Would you not follow him? course we would. But what the crowd did not realize and 
And sadly, what I believe even Christians today, many Christians today do not realize is that Jesus did not come so that you and I could have 70 years of, of good physical health only to be dead in our sins spiritually for eternity, right? Like th th that's not why Jesus came. No, the, the all-powerful, all-wise, great physician came to actually what? He laid down his health. If you ever want an example to dispel the prosperity gospel or the health, wealth, and uh, prosperity gospel, here it is. What was Jesus' own example? He laid down his health, didn't he? That was his, he, he, he suffered as his body was beaten beyond recognition. He died on a cross. Why? To show us that what was more important than your physical health was your spiritual health. He did all that so that you and I could have spiritual life today with God and one day in His presence when your feeble body will be restored, will be glorified. But the crowd, <laughs> uh, the crowd was not seeking this spiritual healing. They wanted something else, right? They wanted something else. So we pick things up in verse 5. Take a look at verse 5. So lifting up his eyes then, seeing the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus says to Philip, he turns to Philip, and he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So you need to remember, it's late in the day. Okay, it's late in the day, and they're in this uh, desolate place, right? They're on the side of this mountain, and, 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 and John doesn't tell us this, but I want you to see the heart of the disciples. Okay, I want you to see the heart. In Matthew's account, if you can bring it up, uh, brother, Matthew 14, verse 15, I want you to see what, the, what, what, do you know what the disciples actually said to Jesus? Here's what they said. They said, send the crowds away. That's what they said. They, you know, send them into the village, right? Like, like, let them go and buy food for themselves. That's the heart of the disciples, right? That's the, and probably, probably many of you, you, you and me would do the same, wouldn't we? I mean, I mean they're looking out here at a crowd of 5,000, and that's just the men, yeah. So, so, so actually... Um, most scholars, if you add women and, and, and children, most scholars estimate that this was actually a crowd of 20,000 people. 20,000 people. And they're hungry. And they're hungry. And so the disciples' response, just like probably many of you and I, would be, send them, send them. Let them go and buy bread for themselves. But aren't you grateful, church, for the compassion of Jesus. Aren't you grateful for the compassion of Jesus? Where are we to buy bread that they may eat? Which brings us to verse 6, okay? And this is very interesting, verse 6. Now, Jesus said this, his question, he said this to test Philip, to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, this is remarkable, okay? John must be knowing this only because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to him, right? That Jesus knew this. Because this is remarkable. What John is telling us is that Jesus knew all along what he was going to do. 
Like, like he knew before he even asked Philip the question, he knew. He knew that he was going to do this. In fact, the question that he's asking is not even really, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a test question, isn't it? <laughs> it's a test of Philip's faith. And, and I want you to see how, how Philip responds, okay? Look at verse 7. Here's how Philip responds. Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. Right? 200, it wouldn't be enough for, for, for all of them to even get a little. It wouldn't be enough. You know, um, I know pastor says this a lot, and, and I, I've started to do this too. Whenever you read a pastor, this, this, this is an account, right? This is not like a, a story. This is history, right? This is an account. So I like to try to imagine myself there. Have you ever done that? Like, try to see this picture. So, so it's, it's, I think you use the expression, in the theater of your mind. Right? Have you guys heard pastors say, you know, in the theater of your mind, try to... So, so I'm trying to imagine, Philip is standing here, okay? And, and his eyes are scanning this massive crowd. This is 20,000 people, right? And he's scanning this crowd, and Jesus asked the question, and I can just imagine his little mind is racing, Right? I mean, he's like, he's, he, he's, he's crunching the numbers. He's like trying to figure, okay, there's, okay, oh, there's another hundred people over there. And okay, he's adding it all up. And he's thinking, okay, he's, he's, trying, he's trying to do the best he can. And he's starting to sweat. Why? Because his mental calculator is breaking as he realizes we just don't have enough money. We can't afford this. Can't afford this. You know, a denarii was a day's wage, one day's wage. So 200 denarii was 200 days, almost eight months of income. Okay? Eight months of income, and even that amount of income wouldn't be enough, wouldn't be enough for everyone to get a little. Sometimes I take the theater of my mind a little bit further. I don't know if you'll allow me or not. Um, John MacArthur made this observation that, uh, you know, Philip, maybe, perhaps Philip looked over at Judas. What was Judas? Judas was the treasurer, wasn't he? Right? He was the one with the money bags. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he looks over at Judas and he sees the money bag and he's saying like, you know, are there 10 more of those that I don't know about? And come to think about it, I mean, knowing Judas, uh, uh, there very well could have been some missing bags, right? But anyways, I digress, right? That, 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 the point is, Philip is looking at Jesus like, we don't have the money. We just don't have the money for this. And I don't know if you noticed this, but Philip actually never answers the question. Do you notice that? What did, what did Jesus ask him? He asked, where can we buy bread Philip's not even there yet, right? Like, like he, he, he's not even there yet about where we're going to get it. He, 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 he's still stuck on the how, right? He's still stuck on the, like, how, the money. And you know, church, I, I don't know about you, but, but this is a test. This test that, that Jesus is giving to Philip, it's a test that I feel I have faced and failed many, many times in my life. And maybe some of you will feel the same way, okay? And allow me to explain. You see, the disciples had witnessed Jesus turning water into wine, right? Like, like they, had seen, they had seen His glory. 
The the, the disciples had witnessed Jesus heal an official's son from miles and miles away, right? Like they had seen with their own eyes a crippled man of 38 years take up his bed and walk, wonder after wonder after wonder. And here they are faced once again with a humanly impossible circumstance, right? A humanly impossible situation without the funds to feed 20,000 people and they still don't realize who they're talking to. They still don't recognize who they're talking to. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is the one who owns everything, the universe and all that is within. And you're here worried about 200 denarii. Can you hear the disappointment in Jesus um, later on in John, John 14, 9? This is what he says. He says, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. I think we could insert our name there, couldn't we? Couldn't you? Have I been with you so long, Ian? Still do not know me. Church, Jesus could say the very same to us. Because time and time again, on Thursday prayer, here we are, right? Thursday prayer, and we're testifying, we're saying, you know, my God has supplied all my needs, right? We were faced with some difficulty, but God came through, and He has supplied all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ. And yet, when the next test comes, <laughs> when the next test comes, maybe you're facing it now, maybe right now, I don't know, maybe right now you're already thinking to yourself, we don't have the money, I don't know where the money is going to come from. I don't know how the numbers are going to add up. And Jesus already knows what he's going to do. But when the next test comes, will you remember who he is? Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? Which brings us to verse 8. Verse 8. And our dear brother, Andrew enters the scene. Andrew, you remember our dear brother Andrew, right? Andrew who brought his brother Peter, right? That joke, I don't know, I just love that joke. I feel like maybe it's, is it too much? No, it's not too much, right? He brought his brother Peter. He didn't bring his brother Stefan, he brought his brother Peter. And this same Andrew in verse 9, he brings the little boy who brought his lunch, the little boy who brought his lunch. So I want you to remember the ratio here, 20,000 people, and the disciples are going around and they're collecting whatever food people have brought, and it turns out this is all they've got, five loaves, barley loaves, and two fish. That's all that was found, right? And so this disproportion, right, 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish, those numbers, that only magnifies the greatness of this miracle, doesn't it? right? That disproportion, that, dis- that magnifies the greatness. But for a moment, I just want us to reflect on this young boy, okay? I just want you to reflect on this young boy. He is out here, okay, with this huge crowd. It's late. 
Surely he was hungry too, right? Everyone else forgot their lunch. He has his, or his dinner, he has it. I just think it's so amazing that he was willing to offer up what he had. When the Lord requested, he offered up. You know, he didn't, he wasn't forced. I don't think Andrew, Andrew, I don't think you would have, you would have, you know, forced the child to give up those, his dinner, right? No, no, he would have offered it willingly. And you know, it's interesting, he could have doubted too, that child, just like Andrew, right? Verse 9, this is what we have, but what are these among so many people? The child could have thought that too, right? When they were calling out, does anyone have any food out there? He could have looked at his little lunch and thought, well, well, what is my little, you know, insignificant lunch going to do? What is it going to accomplish among so many people? He could have thought that. Right? He, he, he had no way to know. He could have never imagined what Jesus was going to do. He could only be faithful with what he had. And I think there is a lesson there for us, isn't there, church? Sometimes you look at yourself and you think, you know, my gift is small. <laughs> my my offering is not much. My, my service is, is what, what is this going to accomplish? But can I tell you, be faithful. Be faithful. Because little is much when God is in it. Amen? Little is much when God is in it. So, they've collected the food, okay? And this is all there is. That's all they found. Five loaves, two fish. And so Jesus tells the disciples, verse 10, have the people sit, okay? And, and I have to pause here because for all the lack of faith that we've, we've been hard, harsh on Philip and Andrew, right? For all the lack of faith, we have to acknowledge here that the disciples obeyed, right? Like they, at this point, they don't have any reason to, to un, they, don't, they don't understand what's happening, right? Like you're asking us to get them to sit. We just said we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. But Jesus asked them, get them to sit, and the disciples trusted and obeyed, right? So they all sat down. 5,000 men, as I said earlier, likely 20,000 total with women and children. And John includes yet another small but, but significant detail in verse 10. Look at verse 10 for a moment and see if you caught it. It's very insignificant and you almost think, why, why even mention that? He comments on the grass. Do you see that in verse 10? Like, he comments on the amount of grass in the place. And, you know, when you first read that, you think, okay, why, why is he even mentioned? Like, what does this have to do with the main storyline? But you know what? Everything in God's Word is there for a reason. This comment about the grass, actually, for one thing, it gives us greater confidence as readers that John was an eyewitness, doesn't it? Right? Why do I say that? Because only an eyewitness could comment on how much grass was in a place. Right? It increases the credibility of this account. Moreover, if you, if you th- this detail about the grass actually corroborates the timing we talked about earlier. We said that this was occurring during Passover. Passover occurs in March or April. That's the springtime. That's when grass would be plentiful before the summer heat causes the grass to wither. Amazing, isn't it? 
how God's every detail is there for a reason. And so we come to the miracle itself. Jesus then took the loaves. Verse 11, take a look at verse 11. He took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, um, uh, P.S., if you want an example for praying before meals, here it is, right? Does everyone pray before your meals? This is your example, right? Giving thanks before meals. Here it is. So Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Just like that, the creator and sustainer of all things, of the entire universe, just keeps breaking the loaves, right? He just keeps dividing the fish, and everyone ate as much as they wanted. You know, I'm trying to put it into modern terms for us. This was an all-you-can-eat. Have you ever been to an all-you-can-eat buffet? Of course you have, right? All-you-can-eat buffet. This was all you can eat, and it, it was for 20,000 people. Sometimes we don't grasp that. Do you, do you know Scotiabank Arena? Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, where the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Maple Leafs play? That capacity crowd is 19,800 people. If that arena was packed, 19,800, and Jesus just provided enough food for all to eat, not just to have a little, verse 12, for them to eat until they were full. To eat until they were... Just imagine being part of this crowd. Okay, forget about whatever else you brought with you today. Just imagine being on this grassy hill, right? And you've eaten as much as you can, as much as you want. Imagine being part of that crowd. Many of them probably didn't have very much in life, Right? Many of them, and here is this man who is providing for them for free, for free, all the food they could ever need. It's amazing. But sadly, um, as, we, as we learned earlier from St. Augustine, um, this meal would become yet another um, thing, another something else. Um, for which the people came, sought Jesus. Remember I told you, Jesus is usually sought after for something else and not for his own sake. If you, if you skip down to verse 26, it's going to come up on the screen. We're, we're going to cover this later but um, uh, in, in another sermon, but I'll just share it with you here. Jesus tells the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, it's, it's not because you saw the signs that were pointing to me as the Son of God, but because you ate. <laughs> because you ate your fill of the loaves. Isn't that sad, church? Like, 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 do you understand? They're standing before the bread of life. They were standing before the bread of life, and they preferred the bread that perishes. How sad. Verse 12, so the meal ends. Um, and, and, and this last, these next two verses, I think, are just something very convicting for us here in North America, especially. Okay? So just look at these last, these verses 12 and 13. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Jesus tells them, gather up the leftovers. Okay? Gather up the leftovers. Why? That nothing may be lost. Okay? Nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with these fragments. 12 baskets. The 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple, right? There's 12 disciples, 12 baskets. And you know what was convicting to me? When we look at society today, especially here, North America, we are a, are, are a society of much waste. Are we not? We are a society of much luxurious excess and waste. Um, some people actually try to use this miracle to justify that, to say, you know what? Jesus provided all they could eat, you know, so if we follow Jesus, we too should be, that's, that's, the, that's the health wealth gospel, right? That's the false gospel of prosperity. But what is Jesus showing us here? The, this miracle was not to encourage us to gluttony. That's not what the miracle is about. And we know that because the, the, the meal began by giving thanks to God, didn't it? It began by giving thanks to God and it ended with careful frugality. Careful frugality. Not a thing must be lost. Convicting, isn't it? The next time you clear out your fridge, the next time you decide to go out for a meal when you have food at home, I'm just speaking of my own conviction. True, isn't it? And so with the miracle completed, um, in the last two verses here, last two verses, verses 14 and 15, John tells us the final response, okay? What was the response of the crowd? So they've had their food, they've eaten now, and now, so what is their final response, takeaway? Look at verse 14, okay? When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the prophet. They got it, right? Who is this prophet they're talking about? Well, well, um, I think we've covered this before, but in Deuteronomy, way back in the Old Testament, God spoke directly to the people of Israel, okay? He spoke, imagine that. He spoke directly to people. And when he was doing that, they were so fearful of his voice that they thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to die. And so what they did is they pleaded with God, God, do not speak to us directly anymore. Speak to us through. And, and, and so God sp uh, uh, arranges that, that he would speak to them through prophets. Okay, like Moses, right? He would speak to them through prophets. And that was, that's what a prophet is, right? A prophet is a, per, a spokesperson for God. So God directly speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet conveys the very words of God the people. Right? That's, how, that's how it worked. And in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, God promises, he makes a prophecy or a promise. He promises to Moses that one day he's going to raise up a prophet. He's going to send a prophet into this world who would speak all his words, all his words, such that whoever does not listen to that prophet would be held accountable to God. Okay? And guess what? Jesus is that prophet. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophet, of that prophecy. He was the prophet. They were right. The people actually, once they saw the sign and they put together all the prophecies from the past, they realized this must be the one. And they were right. 
And you know what? If we could have ended the story here, honestly, it'd be a happy ending. We'd be able to leave and enjoy the rest of our day, right? The happy ending. Um, but sadly, uh, the next verse, verse 15, in the final verse, we see once again St. Augustine's quote that Jesus is usually sought after for something else and not for his own sake. See what the crowd, see what happens. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, to make him king, Jesus withdrew. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, friends, just, just put yourself in their shoes, okay? They had found a leader. We have an election coming up, right? In Ontario, you guys know that? We have an election coming up, right? We are looking for leaders who are going to fix our problems, aren't we? The, the price of gas, right? The, the, the job market, the, the, the housing market. We're, we're looking for people, healthcare, to fix these problems. And so the people of Israel were, were looking and they, and, they, and they found a leader which they thought could fix everything, Right? Like he could fix all our problems, all our earthly concerns and our worries. If we're sick, he can heal us. If we're poor, he gives freely. If, if we're hungry, he can provide. He's the prophet. He's the Messiah. Hey, it's Passover. We're all together. We're under this Roman rule. Let's overthrow the government. Why should we be afraid of them? We have Jesus with us now. I mean, if this is who Jesus is, if this is what he can do, our military will be invincible, right? Our economy is going to thrive. We're going to be a political power. We're going to be a world superpower. Let us take control. Let us take self-determination. That's what this was. Control. And we know they weren't doing it because, of, because they loved Jesus or because they because they knew who he was, because look at what they did. You catch what they were planning to do? This is a very ill-thought-out plan. Look at verse 15. What were they trying to do? They were going to take him by force. This is the Son of God, right? Just pause for a second. He just created food for 20,000 people. That's the power he has, and you're going to take him by force? You see the illogic there? But that was their plan. To take him by force. This was going to be violent. Meaning they were going to, to make him king even if it meant doing it against his, um, his will. Will. See, church, um, they wanted a kingdom of this world. But Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Not. They wanted a prophet. They called him a prophet, but they wanted only his works and not his words. His works, not his words. And Jesus, Jesus knew. He knew their hearts and he knew their minds. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, remember the scene, right? Here's the crowd. Here's Jesus. And there's the disciples too, right, standing by. I was thinking about this. You know, the disciples, for them, they wouldn't have known the true intentions of this crowd. 
know I, all they would have known is from verse 14, the disciples would have heard, oh, they're, they're calling him the prophet, right? The, the disciples heard the crowd saying he's the prophet. So they would have thought, okay, these, this crowd is great. This crowd is on board. They get it. The disciples wouldn't have known, but Jesus knows the truth. Jesus knows the motives of the heart. He knew their hearts just as he knows you and I today. Just as he knows you and I today. Others may not know, right? Just like the disciples, you may be saying the right things. You may be saying the right things today here in church or doing the right things and, and the disciples or others may think that's, that you're, that's fine. He, he or she is on board. They get it. But Jesus, no, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And what does he do? This is important as we end. Um, what does Jesus do? When you and I try to force him to be a king, of our own making, right? A king of our, on our terms. When we seek Jesus, not for himself, but we're seeking him for something else, what does Jesus do in verse 15? He withdraws. Yeah. He withdraws. Which means what? You no longer have him. Right? He's no longer with you. You can call him Jesus if you want, but that's not Jesus. He's no longer with us when we try to make him a king on our terms. And so as we conclude this message, um, as we saw earlier in John, you remember um, with the water that was turned to wine in John chapter 2, just like that, this miracle, this feeding of the 5,000 was not about bread, right? It wasn't about bread. It was about Jesus. It was about Jesus, the true bread, the true bread of life, whose words, if truly believed, if truly believed, will bring you eternal life. Will bring you eternal life. This morning, as I um, ask the worship team to come up, um, I just want us all to remember the provision of God. Hey, this, 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 many people quote the feeding of the 5,000 um, when they're thinking about God, how God provides, right? And they're right, God does provide. But I want us to think about this not just in physical terms, right? Just like the people did. They thought about it only in physical terms. As he humbled the people of Israel and let them hunger and fed them with manna, you remember, right? He fed them with manna in the wilderness. Manna, which they did not know, which their fathers didn't know. Why did he do it? That we might understand this verse, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why don't you stand with me, church? We're going to pray. We're going to sing a beautiful song that just declares this truth. Where else can we go, right? Where else can we go 
You have the words of life. Jesus has them. Don't seek him for all those other things. For the something else, whatever it may be. I know, we all brought a list today, didn't we? Right? What's your list? The list of reasons why you have come to Jesus. Throw it out. Come to him for him. And you will find that all your needs, all your true needs, shall be met shall be met. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning where we could recount this um, miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Lord, we have seen many, we have learned many lessons. Lord, we know that you can test us. You can test us, Lord, in our circumstances to see if we really believe that you are who you say you are. Oh, Lord, help us, oh, Lord, when the next test comes. Let us, may you not say to us, oh, Lord, that um, how long have I been with you and, and, and you still don't know me. No, help us, oh, God, to know you. Help us all to know you. Lord, there are, there, there's another lesson we learn, Father, from the example of this little child who, though he did not have much, was willing to give what he had. And we learn that little is much when you are in it, when you are in it. And finally, God, we learn from this crowd, this crowd that, 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 that tried to force, um, to make you king, a king of their own, making a king on their terms. And we've learned, oh God, when we try to do that, you will withdraw. You will withdraw. You won't be there anymore. So help us, O oh God, to put aside our lists and put aside our needs and our worries and our anxieties, lay them down, and just to see you, to see you, the Son of God, to believe in who you are and by believing to have life, to have life in your name. So we commit all of these here and all who are watching from home into your hands. Speak to us and guide us, O oh God, to discover you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.